Welcome to the Games for the Throne podcast, a podcast about the HBO series Game of Thrones. I'm your host, Courtney, aka Mother of Dragons. Welcome to this episode of Games for the Throne. We'll be discussing episode 606, Blood of My Blood. So we got so much information in this episode. I mean, the first few minutes alone were jam-packed with all kinds of goodies. But before we get to Bran's visions, um, let's talk about who saved Bran and Mira from the Whites. So um, we see Mira pulling Bran through this blizzard. There are dozens of Whites hot on their trail. And she's basically alone because not only does she have to pull Bran, which is a job that Hodor was taking care of, He's not even awake because he's like downloading this matrix from the Three-Eyed Raven. Um, all of this information that the Three-Eyed Raven had. Um, so she's cold. She's about to lose hope. So she stops and lies down with Bran. She's crying. And he's just having all of these visions, which I'll get to in just a little bit. Um, the Whites start attacking them. And then this hooded figure rides out of the woods on horseback. He's wielding some kind of burning flail, some kind of medieval um, instrument, and he kills the whites. And once he's cut a clear path, he tells Mira to get on his horse, and he pulls Bran up as well. And he says that they have to keep going because the dead don't rest. And he's right, because more whites are coming. And we see this vision that Bran is having. Um, it seems like the Mad King. He says, burn them all. We see the Night King. We see a dragon flying over King's Landing, but more whites are coming and uh, it, the scene ends there. Then we see Sam and Gilly. They're almost to Horn Hill. Um, Gilly can tell that Sam's getting really nervous. So she asks if his family knows that she's a wildling, but he explains that if his father knew that he would turn her out. Um, so he could never tell her, uh, he could never tell him where she's really from. So, um, he's also nervous because he thought he would never be coming back to his home after his father threatened to kill him unless he joined the Night's Watch. Um, so they get there, Sam's mother and his sister are there to greet them, but his father and his brother are out hunting, so they'll see him later. And, um, Sam's sister Tala is very excited to meet Gilly, and she's going to let Gilly borrow her dress, one of her dresses for dinner. In King's Landing, Tommen's meeting with the High Sparrow. Um, they seem to be talking about Marjorie's Walk of Atonement, and Tommen's really worried, but the High Sparrow says it'll be different. She's going to be guarded by the Faith Militant, and it won't be like your mother's Walk of Shame because the people actually like Marjorie. Um, he lets Tommen see Marjorie, um, and he lets um, Tommen see her alone. Um, they talk about everything. Um, he's really confused because she kind of seems to be on the High Sparrow's side now. She says he's not quite what she thought he was. And she's realized things about herself. And But Tama tells her, you know, you're a good person. And she says, um, well, I was just very good at looking like a good person. I made sure that I fed the homeless and I did this and I did that. But I made sure people saw me. So now I realize who I really am. So then he asks about Loras, what's going to happen to him? And she says, well, he will have to atone, but the gods have a plan for all of us. 
Then we go back to Sam and Gilly in Horn Hill. Gilly's all dressed up in one of Tala's dresses. She's trying to walk in these heels, um, which, of course, she's failing at. And then they go to dinner. She's trying to figure out how to eat like the rest of them. Um, you know, she's not used to eating with a fork and a knife and all of that. So she's actually doing a pretty good job. Um, but they um, talk about the hunt that Dickon and Lord Randall went on. And then Sam's mother offers him some more bread. And Sam says, oh, sure. But then, of course, his father says, well, yeah, I see you're still fat. You're still eating all the time. And he says he thought the Night's Watch would make a man out of Sam, but he's still soft. All he does is read about the achievements of better men. So he belittles Sam to the point where Gilly starts to defend Sam. She tells his father how he killed a Finn and a White Walker when they were on their way south to the Wall. Dickon thinks she's crazy. He just laughs at her. And she says that Sam's a greater warrior than either of them will ever be. So once she tells the story, Lord Tarley figures out that she's a wildling because she said when they were coming south to the wall, and he's furious. He says it was bad enough when he thought she was a whore from Molestown, but being a wildling is even worse. He points um, out his family's uh, Valyrian sword, Heartsbane. This is one of the few Valyrian swords left. There's only like maybe three, I think, maybe between three and five. And it's called Heartsbane, and it's been handed down through the generations and Lord Tarly says that Sam will never wield that sword because he's weak. Sam's mother is finally so just appalled at um, the way he's acting. So she gets up and she leaves and she takes um, Tala and Gilly with her. And um, Lord Tarly finally tells Sam, you know, I'll allow Gilly to stay in Hornhill, but she's going to work in the kitchens. And okay, I'll let your son stay here. He'll grow up. He'll learn things. And hopefully he'll be a greater man than you are. But you can never spend another night under this roof. So you're going to have to leave and never return. So Sam goes to say goodbye to Gilly and he apologizes for his father. But she's not angry with him. She just thinks that Randall Charlie is horrible. And he is. Um, she tells him he's not what his father thinks he is. That he's a good person. So he tells her and little Sam goodbye and he leaves. But um, we, then we see Gilly, she's tucking in the baby, figuring out what she's going to do with her new life. And Sam comes rushing back in. He tells her to grab her things. Of course, she says, well, I don't have any things. And um, he takes her and little Sam, and he also decides to take the sword Heartsbane. And Gilly is really concerned that Lord Tarly is going to come after them. And Sam says, well, he can bloody well try. Then we go to Bravos and Arya. She is um, watching the play again. We get to see more of it. This time we see Joffrey's murder at his wedding. And we see the murder of Lord Tywin. Of course, they're still adding farts in everywhere because apparently that's what the people like. Um, and of course, the play depicts Tyrion as the killer. But Arya enjoys watching it and she even laughs when Joffrey dies. But then Lady Crane has this speech as Cersei when Joffrey dies, and it's really, really good. Um, it just kind of seems to spark something in Arya. But um, while the play's still going on, she sneaks backstage and she puts the poison in Lady Crane's rum. But Lady Crane comes backstage a few minutes later and she caches Arya. She doesn't see that she put the poison in there. She just sees her backstage. And she recognizes her from the audience. She says, oh, you've been to see this play before. 
And so she has a moment with Aria. They're talking. She tells Aria that she used to sneak backstage at the play too. And she asks Aria if she's interested in working for them or, you know, um, if that's the kind of thing that she's interested in. Um, and then they start to talk about the play and Lady Crane says, yeah, well, my speech really sucks when Joffrey dies. And Arya says, well, you're the best thing about the play. And then um, she tells Arya, well, you know, there are some things that she would like to change about it. And Arya says, well, you know, there would be more emotion than just sadness. When um, Joffrey was killed, Cersei would have been angry. She would have wanted vengeance against the ones who um, killed that the person that she loved. And she tells Lady Crane, you know, if you want to change it, then you change it. So the play is over. Arya's still back there with Lady Crane. The, West, the rest of the um, actors walk back there. And so Lady Crane gets up the nerve to talk to the head guy, the director, whatever, who's also in the play. And she says she's been thinking about her speech. There's some things she wants to change. And he flips out. How dare a woman try to tell him how he should do his job, that he grew up doing this and blah, 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 blah. And uh, Lady Crane pours a glass of rum, but Arya knocks it out of her hand before she can drink it. And she tells Lady Crane to watch out for the younger actress. And she runs out. Well, of course, the way from the House of Black and White is like skulking around in the curtains or whatnot. And she hears this. Um, so Arya goes and she retrieves Needle from where she hid it in some rocks when she joined the House of Black and White. And of course, the Waif immediately reports back to Yakin about Arya's defiance. And he says he's disappointed. And she says, well, remember you told me that I could kill her if she didn't work out. So you need to keep your promise. And he says, well, don't let her suffer. And Arya must know that something's going on. She knows she's in big trouble. But she takes Needle, she goes back to her cell at the House of Black and White, and um, she blows out the candle, she's in the dark, and she sits there with Needle just waiting. It's um, the day of Marjorie's scheduled Walk of Atonement, and Jamie's meeting Maesterell and his army at the city gates. Maesterell starts wasting time, he gives this big speech to his men, Jamie's just like, oh my god, you idiot, can we please just get there? And um, they march to the Sept of Baylor. The High Sparrow is giving this speech about Marjorie. And Marjorie sees her father's army and it looks like some of her spirit comes back. Um, so we don't know if she has hope or what's going on. Uh, Jamie says that the High Sparrow needs to release Marjorie and Loris. But the High Sparrow says, well, I don't have the authority to release them. And you also don't have the authority to take them. So it looks like shit's about to get real. Jamie rides his horse up the steps of the sept. Everything's getting serious. He says, I speak for King Tommen. But the High Sparrow says that, um, sorry, Jamie says, you know, you've already disgraced one noble house. You're not going to disgrace another. And then the High Sparrow says, well, you know, there's no need for bloodshed. The queen won't be making a walk of atonement because she's already atoned for her sins by bringing another into the true light of the seven. And the doors of the sept open and Tommen walks out with his king's guard and they all have new armor on. His sigil is now the seven pointed star. 
So Jamie knows that Tommen's made some kind of deal with the High Sparrow and he shakes his head at Tommen. He's begging him with his eyes, don't submit, don't do this, you don't have to do this. But Tommen makes a speech, he says, there will be a new age of harmony, a holy alliance between the crown and the faith, and that we will restore the kingdom to glory. And Mace Tyrell is so lost that he asks his mother what's happening and she tells him he's beaten us, that's what's happening. So they go back to the castle. Tommen strips Jamie of being the Lord Commander of the King's Guard because he went against the faith and that can't be allowed. But Jamie says, you know, I've been a member of the King's Guard since before you were born. And he tells Tommen, you know, you don't have to do any of this. You have the throne. You have the authority. But Tommen says the crown has made up its mind. And Jamie, being the usual smartass, asks, well, am I going to have a walk of atonement? Are you going to stick me in jail? What are you going to do? After that, uh, we go to the twins. We get to see Walder Frey um, for the first time since the Red Wedding. He's angry that his sons left, um, lost River Run to the Blackfish, and he wants them to take it back. Um, he also mentions the Brotherhood Without Banners, and this is the band of outlaws from back in Season 2, um, run by Lord Beric Dondarrion and Thoros of Myr, and they were the ones that kidnapped Arya to ransom her, but basically put her in the hands of the Hound. Um, so it looks like they're still running around the Riverlands doing whatever. So Walder Frey's sons tell him, well, we don't have enough men to take the castle back. But he says he doesn't care. He has Edmore Tully as a captive. And that's the brother of Catelyn Stark, the one who actually got married at the Red Wedding to one of Walder Frey's daughters or granddaughters. I can't remember. Um, but he says the Blackfish will give up River Run for his nephew. Then we go back to King's Landing again. Jamie's talking to Cersei. He's really upset because he's being sent to the Riverlands to help the Freys get back River Run. He's pissed that the High Sparrow's gotten a hold of Tommen. And he says he wants to um, get Bronn to find the best killers in the kingdom to assassinate the High Sparrow. But Cersei says, no, you can't do that. He's got too many people backing him. We have to do another, you know, we have to go about this another way. And he says, you know, you're needed at the head of our army. All of this, you know, is nothing if you're not here and alive. And um, he says, well, I don't want to leave you because your trial's coming up. But she persuades him to take the Lannister army to River Run and show their enemies what happens when you cross the Lannisters. Besides, she has her champion, the Mountain, so she's not worried. Then we go back up north. And we're back with Bran and Mira and the stranger. Um, they've stopped to rest and eat, and Bran is still asleep. And the stranger tells Mira that the three-eyed raven sent him to protect Bran and Mira. So she fills him in on the death of the three-eyed raven. But the stranger says the three-eyed raven lives on in Bran. Bran then wakes up. He apologizes to Mira. He starts asking the stranger questions about who he is. And the stranger says the last time he saw Bran, he was still a little boy at Winterfell climbing walls. And he reveals that he's Bran's uncle, Benjen Stark, who's been missing. Now, if you don't remember who Benjen Stark is, we haven't seen him since season one. So he is the younger brother of Ned Stark. He was the first ranger of the Night's Watch when Jon first joined. He left to go on a ranging because of wildling sightings and then went to hunt White Walkers close to the wall and he disappeared. Two of his men were dead, were found dead and brought back to the wall. 
Um, but they came back to life and they were the ones that attacked Lord Commander Mormont before Ghost and Jon Snow killed them with fire, which earned Jon the Lord Commander's respect. Uh, Benjen's horse returned as well sometime later, but he was riderless, so they had given up all hope on him being alive. He's been um, north of the wall all this time, hanging out with a three-eyed raven and um, killing whites. And apparently he did die. He turned into a white walker, but the children of the forest were able to cure him uh, using dragon glass. So apparently there is a cure for being a white walker, but you're still dead afterwards. Um, you're able, he's still alive. I mean, he's still animated, but he's dead. So Benjen warns Bran that he must learn to control his visions before the Night King comes. And the Whites and the White Walkers are heading towards the wall, so they need to head there and be ready for him. So now that we've covered who Bran's rescuer is, I want to talk about all these visions that Bran's had. Because there's just so much information in all of them. So what we see are Ned Stark's beheading. We see the Mad King on the Iron Throne yelling, burn them all. We also see Jamie striking him down with his sword. We see Bran's fall from season one. Um, we see the White Walkers when they took Craster's baby, um, I think back in like season two. We see Danny and her dragons, a jar of wildfire and the Mad King again, Rob getting killed at the Red Wedding, and then a young Ned Stark looking distraught with blood on his hands. So, I won't cover them all in great detail since some of these are simply visions that are important to Bran, but that we've actually seen happen already. Um, so, the ones I'll discuss in detail are the visions dealing with the Mad King, who is Aerys Targaryen, and the visions of young Ned Stark and the blood. So, yeah, I'm in total agreement. It would have been greater to see a longer vision of the Mad King and Jaime killing him, but that's not really the basis for this story. We already know that Jamie killed the Mad King, and as much fun as it would be to see a longer vision of it, the snippet will just have to do. So you gotta remember the big picture here. Unless Bran's visions move the larger storyline forward or provide new information, we probably won't see them in great detail. Another reason some people may be upset is because after the whole Hold the Door Hodor storyline, this new theory emerged. Um, this theory suggests that Bran might be responsible for making the Mad King crazy by having this similar Hodor-like situation. Um, and it's a cool theory, but I don't agree with it, and I'll tell you why. So first, the reason Hodor had a seizing fit and almost burst into particles was because Bran had warged into present Hodor and past Hodor at the same time, um, and because he was with present Hodor and in a vision with young Hodor. So it made him like rip a space, uh, a hole in space and time that left Hodor irreparable. So in order for Bran to do that to the Mad King, it would have to be the same situation. Or like with young Ned Stark, perhaps Bran is in a vision and says, burn them all. And the Mad King hears that and goes crazy and thinking he is hearing voices, he repeats it. But I don't agree with that theory either. The Mad King went through a lot in his life to make him go crazy. Um, even though he was psychotic and burned people with wildfire for fun, he actually had good reason to lose a few marbles. Aerys Targaryen didn't go mad until later in his life, and it was gradual before turning into complete madness. When he was a boy, his closest childhood friends were Tywin Lannister 
and Stefan Baratheon, who was the father of Robert Baratheon and Stannis and Renly. Um, so, of course, he married his sister Rayla, um, as was the Targaryen custom. They had all of these stillborn children over the years. And the few who actually made it out of the womb died within usually like a year. So um, this caused a lot of strain on both of them. And um, finally, Rhaegar was born and then Viserys was born. And uh, the Mad King kept Viserys hidden away in the Red Keep because he feared something would happen to him as he grew more and more paranoid. So that's why Viserys was all fucked up. Um, then the defiance of Duskendale happened, and this was where the Darklings planned this trap for King Aerys. Um, it was a rebellion. He had become really paranoid and jealous of his son, Prince Rhaegar, as well as Tywin Lannister, who was the hand of the king at the time. And the Darklings called for King Aerys to come to Duskendale. Well, Lord Tywin urged the king not to go. But the Mad King's paranoia caused him to go against Lord Tywin's advice, and he went to Duskendale, where he was kept as a hostage in a cell for a good chunk of time. And he was there for about six months until Lord Tywin finally gathered the armies of the Seven Kingdoms and marched on Duskendale to demand the return of the king. Well, in order to stave off more bloodshed, Sir Barristan Selmy talked with Tywin Lannister, and he said, Just give me one night. I'll sneak in there. I'll steal the king back. And he did that. He slipped in, found the king, and saved the day. And that was how he became Sir Barristan the Bold. But unfortunately, um, you know, the king was just beyond help. He had just become so paranoid at this time. He wouldn't let anybody cut his hair or his nails. Um, he just let those grow out. He just was, um, you know, really messed up. So he actually killed all of the Darklands as well as any family who helped them in their rebellion. And he was even scared that his own heir Rhaegar was against him. So it was rumored that the Mad King might pass over his eldest son, who was beloved by the people, for his younger son Viserys once he died. He talked to himself all of the time. He wouldn't listen to any counsel. He started burning people alive with wildfire, such as um, Eddard's, uh, Ned's father. And um, so, you know, a lot of craziness going on. So I say all this just to explain why I don't want to jump on the bandwagon of everything that ever went wrong was Bran's fault. It must have been a vision and he said something and somebody heard him. Um, I think he learned his lesson after the Hodor situation, but only time will tell. Then we get to the Ned Stark vision. So we don't get to see a whole ton of it, but um, I have a pretty good idea of what this scene uh, deals with. And um, all I'll say for now is that I think it will be an extension of the vision we saw back in episode three um, about the Tower of Joy. And it could co um, might possibly show us, hopefully before the end of the season, whose blood that might be. Then we get to the last scene of this um, particular episode, which is a Danny scene. We only get this one scene this week, and it's obvious that um, this episode was all about, or the title of the episode, Blood of My Blood, was all about this moment. Um, so Danny's marching back to Marine with the Dothraki army. And she um, stops and asks Dario, you know, how many ships will I need to conquer Westeros? 
and he tells her that she'll need about a thousand. So she says, after Marine, we're going to Westeros. I'm going to take back what's mine. And she says, well, you weren't made to sit on an iron chair. So she asks, well, what was I made for? And he tells her that she's a conqueror. But, um, you know, she decides it's time to go back. This is what she's waited her whole life to do. She's going to do it. Um, then she kind of gets this look on her face. And she tells uh, Dario and the Dothraki to wait there. And she rides on for a minute. So she's been gone for a long time. Dario finally is like, look, I'm going to look for her. I don't know where she is. But he doesn't need to worry because here comes Drogon flying around. He has grown even larger and Danny is riding him. So she lands Drogon and she gives this speech to the Dothraki saying that, you know, there's always been this custom. All of their calls have named three blood riders, but she's not going to name three. They are all her blood riders and she wants them to go across the narrow sea and help her um, and give her back the seven kingdoms. So another great Danny scene, um, very powerful I love her riding the dragons. I love the dragons. They're like my favorite thing. Um, so that's the end of this episode. Um, hopefully we will get some more brand visions and some longer extended brand visions. Um, Benjen Stark. Yeah, we'll find out more about him. It's crazy. He's dead. Um, but he's not a white walker. Um, we really didn't see a lot with John this week. Um, what else? What's Sam going to do? Is he still going to the Citadel? And what does he plan to do with Hearts Banner? Is he just kind of taking it as a rebellious move? Um, so we will see. So I'll see y'all next time. If you have questions, comments, crazy theories, you can email me at gamesforthethrone at gmail.com. You can also like me on Facebook at Games for the Throne and on Twitter it's at Games for the Throne but the four is actually the number four. You can also check out my Games for the Throne blog on 3cstudio.net and that's where I'm going to be putting um, episodes of the podcast as well. There will be lots of news. Um, I've talked about different theories. You can go on there and see what all's on there. So I'll see you next time. 